a great deal as to why we are here. Just the fact that we are talking about putting on the whole armor of God, dealing with the matter of spiritual warfare. In the ministry Paul had at the church of Ephesus, that was a major problem. Uh, he hinted all the way through the New Testament at the issues that he dealt with there. So it does not surprise us that when he wrote a letter back to them, he spent some time on that subject. We will start at verse number 10 and just simply read some verses as we get into tonight's message. Paul says, finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that ye may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Wherefore take unto you the whole armor of God that ye may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. We keep finding that word stand uh, and withstand that are placed in here. We understand that um, we're, we're fighting a spiritual battle. It's not about people. It's about principalities and powers, the rulers of the darkness. And the only way we're going to be successful in this is you and I have to put on not a part or a piece of the armor of God, but we're commanded to put on the whole armor of God. Paul began describing that in verse number 14. He says, stand therefore, having your loins girt about with truth. Um, I have props with me tonight, so I might as well get them out if I can. Just to sort of uh, illustrate a little bit, we've got some kiddos here sometimes visual aids help them a little bit. When we talked about our loins girt about with truth, I brought in a power lifting belt that power lifters wear when, when they're lifting. And what it does, it strengthens the core. Uh, this is how people are able to, to lift enormous amounts of weight, you know, six, seven, eight hundred pounds and more. And Paul said we're to have our loins girt about with truth. The Roman soldier would wear a belt much like this, probably a bit wider, um, and it would protect the core. Uh, this is the area your liver, your kidneys, your colon, and all of that are. If a sword were to cut you there or a spear to pierce, that would almost in those days always be a fatal injury. And so they, they wore something very thick leather uh, to protect that. Your loins girt about with truth. We talked about the fact this means truth absorbed. Getting the truth of God's word down into the core of our being. Knowing our Bible. Studying our Bible. Letting the Bible permeate our thought life and, and everything about us. Truth absorbed. Last Wednesday evening, we went to the second piece of armor and having on the breastplate of righteousness. That was the part of the armor that protected the heart, the, the upper rib cage and so forth. Uh, this is truth applied, the breastplate of righteousness. Knowing the truth and doing the truth are two different things. Uh, James said, be ye doers of the word and not hearers only. 
What value is it if we can quote chapters of the Bible, but we don't live the truth that is contained within those chapters? Um, and again, it's the truth, the whole truth, nothing but the truth. The Bible is not a buffet. It is not something where we just read through, well, I like that part. Well, I don't really like that. We don't get to do that. This is God's truth, and we accept it in its entirety, and therefore we also seek by the grace of God to apply it in its entirety. We're very good sometimes at applying the word of God to other people. There are, there are individuals I know that are, they've got a PhD on how everybody else should live. Um, and you know that that is not a Bible practice. We're to have PhDs on how we as individuals are supposed to live and to apply it. Move on tonight in verse 15, the third piece of armor. It says, and your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Your feet shod with the preparation, the gospel of peace. Do you realize up until modern times, armies all moved on their feet. They walked from one place to another. Uh, from ancient times through the Civil War, even in much of, of World War I, they did have tra troop transports and stuff, but a lot of the soldiers, it was all done walking mile after mile after mile. Uh, in order to do that, a soldier's feet needed to be protected, and the Roman soldiers were no different than, than any of that. Their, their shoes, they were very much sandal-type uh, shoes that they wore, but again, very thick leather, leather. Sometimes the bottoms of that leather sandal, if you would, uh, would have a metal covering there and would, would have... Uh, uh, we would call it hobnails, something like that, to give them grip on, on difficult terrain, to allow them to run, uh, to stand their ground, and so forth. And so footwear, very, very important thing. Um, shoes are an important part of our lives, okay? Well, before I became, if you will, an above-the-knee amputee, even below-the-knee, I, I generally just, I, I didn't, uh, I wasn't a shoe connoisseur. You know, uh, if I could find it in my size, I wore it. I wasn't much worried about name brands or anything like that. Um, but believe it or not, with the above-the-knee amputee, um, I can't wear cheap shoes. I can't go to Walmart and get their shoes. If I, if I buy them, uh, truly, I cannot walk. Now, I don't walk well, I don't think, anyhow. But I mean, I don't walk well at all. And so I've had to kind of learn how to get my shoes. I've learned that certain styles of shoe don't work. Uh, that type of thing. If any of you have had any kind of foot surgeries or things like that, you, you know what I'm talking about. Brother Greg has gone through a little bit of that with the Achilles tendon surgery and uh, he, he came to church in boots. He was going to, yeah, didn't work out so well. And the next time I saw him, he had his sneakers on again. Um, and, and shoes are kind of everything. I, I brought in shoes. Again, visual aids, um, different shoes for different tasks. My most bizarre pair of shoes are these. You almost have to trade in your man card to put these things on. Uh, these are for uh, spin class. Vanita, you do spin class, don't you? They've got a little 
place on the bottom here that clips into the pedal on a spin bike to keep your foot from sliding off. And I don't know why they come in these bizarre colors and all that kind of stuff. Um, and uh, so that's the only thing you can use them for. If I were to put this on and try to walk, uh, it's a real hard bottom. I'd slide all over the floor. I'd go, I'd face plant real fast, but on a spin bike, uh, these make the difference in how well uh, you can endure on those things. Um, this is a dress shoe that I can no longer wear. It's got a heel on it. This is what I wore as a below-the-knee amputee, but I can't wear them anymore. For some reason, uh, the heel messes me up, and I will pitch forward uh, every time. But, uh, you know, there's a dress shoe, and there's a time when you, you, know, you ought to wear them, uh, that type of thing. And so they, they come in all kinds of forms. And when you want to tell me what this is? What is it? Slipper, you're all wrong. This is a snow boot. It is waterproof. Uh, it's got a nice grip on the bottom of it. It's got all kinds of warm insulation stuff in there. When I wear these, when I'm snow blowing the driveway, um, my one foot actually gets, gets hot wearing these things. The other foot... It's plastic, so it doesn't really know what's going on. Uh, but that's a snow boot. Uh, again, it's got a specific use and a time and a place for that. Shoes have uh, purpose. This is the kind of shoe that I wear. I'm wearing a, uh, the brown version of this tonight. This is a dress sneaker. It's a dress sneaker. It's made by a company called Cole Haan. Um, and uh, it... it got a flat bottom here and it's it's really the only kind of dress shoe that I can wear um, I have to break them in a lot believe it or not I walk better in the brown ones than I do the black ones and they are the same size the same company the same uh, style of shoe um, but it's it's what I have to wear to walk in uh, and I could have brought some other things this is uh, one last one this this is a power lifting shoe it's, it's called a zero drop shoe. Uh, if you ever go to a powerlifting competition or see a video, most of them wear this. Um, it, it's, it's the next best thing to being barefoot when you're, when you're powerlifting, that type of thing. And uh, I, I actually don't wear this too much. I don't do well with the zero drop, but we've got some guys in the room here that do powerlift that wear these things. Shoes are important. They have function. They help us. To function well. As believers, this matter of spiritual warfare, the Bible says that there are spiritual shoes that we put on. He says, having your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Talk about our feet shod. Our feet are the ones that move us forward, taking us things. I have a couple observations. Number one, as believers in this matter of spiritual warfare, we need to be very careful about where we go, about where we walk. There are some places believers ought not go, and we need to be wise about it. Uh, keeping your place in Ephesians 6, Proverbs chapter 4. Bible principles set forth for us. Proverbs chapter 4. Verse 23, we spent some time here last week. Keep thy heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. 
put away from thee a froward mouth. That word froward means stubborn, means rebellious, and perverse lips put far from thee. This verse has a twofold application. Number one, it means don't you have a stubborn, rebellious, perverse mouth. Number two, put away people from your company that have such a mouth. Verse 25, let thine eyes look right on and let thine eyelids look straight before thee. Ponder the path of thy feet and let all thy ways be established. Turn not to the right hand nor to the left. Remove thy foot from evil. You and I are to be very careful how we walk, where we walk, and who we walk with. Uh, it's a Bible principle. We're in Proverbs, so let's go to verse 20 of Proverbs 13. Proverbs 13, verse 20. He that walketh with wise men shall be wise, but a companion of fools shall be destroyed. Okay? You walk with wise men, it's going to rub off on you. You'll be a wise person. You'll draw from that. But the Bible says a companion of fools shall be destroyed. Now, this is the word of God. This isn't a maybe thing. You cannot run with the wrong crowd and end up in the right place. It is a biblical impossibility. Moms and dads, who are your kids running with? Who are they companions with? By extension of that, who are they, uh, who are they uh, drawing their insights from when they're on the internet? Do you even know the sites that your kids are accessing on the internet? What movies are they watching? What television programs are they watching? A companion of fools shall be destroyed. We need to be very careful about where we go and who we travel along with. Go back to uh, Psalm chapter 1. Psalm chapter 1. And verse 1, familiar verse. Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly. We ought not be letting the world tell us how to think. I actually saw an advertisement from a church. It was a Presbyterian church. And they were having drag queen Bible story hour. That didn't come from the Bible. They're getting their counsel from an ungodly world and bringing that into a so-called church. Now, that seems to be an extreme, but we need to be very careful that we're not walking in the counsel of the ungodly. He says, nor standeth in the way of sinners. What's your crowd? What's your crowd? Is your crowd the soul-winning crowd? Or is your crowd the, the, the complaining crowd, the, the gossiping crowd, the slandering crowd? Is your crowd the, the, the ones that... Uh, 
have the, the double entendres. If they hear a certain word, their little dirty minds just go, go at it and, and they think it's a funny thing to Who's your crowd? The Bible says you want the blessing of God. You, you can't stand in the way of sinners. You can't stand with them. You can't defend them. He goes on to say in verse one, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. That's the crowd that rolls their eyes at the word of God. That's the crowd that says, the rules are rules, but they're for everybody else. They don't apply to me, or that's just stupid. That's just old-fashioned. That's what scornfulness is. The Bible says, if I want the blessing of God, I can't let the ungodly counsel me. I cannot stand in the way of sinners, and I cannot sit in the seat of the scornful, because if I do, I will become ungodly, sinful and scornful because the companion of fools shall be destroyed. Are we okay on that? Okay. Look, if you would, to uh, Psalm 37. Psalm 37. We're talking about be careful where you go. Be careful where your feet take you. Psalm 37. Look, if you would, please, to uh, verse 23. The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord, and he delighteth in his way. Though he fall, he shall not be utterly cast down, for the Lord upholdeth him with his hand. The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord, who is ordering your footsteps. Can you open a Bible to verify that what you're doing, the way you're living, the way you're talking, the way you're treating people is right? Can you open a Bible and show that the steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord. Again, we're talking about our feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. If I'm allowing the Lord, I've got his truth in my core. I'm trying to apply that truth, the breastplate of righteousness. It's going to determine my walk in every way. Look, if you would, to Psalm 119. Psalm 119. And verse number 59. David says, I thought on my ways. I thought on my ways. There is a way which seemeth right unto a man, the Bible says. But David said, I thought on my ways and turned my feet unto thy testimonies. So David is considering, he's taking the advice that he gave Solomon in Proverbs 4, ponder the path of thy feet. So when David said, I thought on my ways, I considered where I was walking and where I was headed. And then he said, I turned my feet under thy testimonies. In other words, David, as he penned those words, realized I wasn't going the way that I should have. I wasn't letting the Lord order my steps. So I turned my feet and now I'm letting God's testimonies direct my path. There will always be a constant reset for every single one of us on the path that we're taking. We ought to constantly be letting the word of God be our compass. Compass. Uh, Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. That's why we need to have a firm grasp on this book. Uh, we need to be careful where we go. Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5. If you marked your place, it'll be, it'll be an easy find. 
Ephesians chapter 5, verse number 1. Be ye therefore followers of God as dear children and walk in love as Christ also hath loved us and hath given himself for us an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling Savior. So we're supposed to walk in love. Look at verse 15, same chapter. See then that ye walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise. That word circumspectly means carefully. This year I have set a new goal for myself, and that is to hike in the woods. Uh, I've walked up and down sidewalks. Uh, I've walked the linear trails. There are a lot of them around here, and they're all flat and smooth. I mean, that, I, little rises and stuff like that. Uh, but it's a path that's been, been well laid out. Uh, there are no potholes and, and roots growing across and so forth. But I decided that uh, if I'm going to get any stronger, get my balance a little better, I need to learn to start hiking the trails out in the woods. So uh, I, I found a place. Uh, my first day out, I went about a tenth of a mile, and it's all that my leg could tolerate. And I turned around and I went back. And every day I, I went out, I tried to increase that a little bit. Uh, I'm up to uh, about three quarters of a mile out, so that then it's a three quarters of a mile back, a mile and a half total. Now, when I'm walking and hiking in the woods, uh, I always have my faithful stick. I have a mop handle that I put a crutch tip on the bottom of that, and I always carry that with me. And as I'm walking along, uh, there's a lot of scenery uh, out in the woods, and I've always enjoyed that, but I miss most of it unless I stop. Um, because if I start looking around, I'm going to miss what's in front of me. The trails that I walk have lots of rocks. Uh, every now and then there's a little stream that flows through. Uh, there's poison ivy that's growing out over the trail. Um, and I have to be careful to veer around that and, and not get that. I'm very susceptible to that. So when I'm walking, hiking in the woods, I'm always walking like this. I'm watching the next step. I need to know if I'm going to have to swing uh, Leonardo, you know, over a rock, I have to decide which foot I'm going to put up first and which foot I'm going to put down first. And I do that so I don't trip and fall. I do that so I don't get poison ivy. Uh, if I trip and fall in certain areas of the trails that I hike, I am going to land in nothing but poison ivy. And that's going to be a mess uh, to have to deal with. That's what it means to walk circumspectly. That means that every day when we get up, we ought to be very careful. Lord, am I, am I going in the right direction? Am I doing the right thing? Is my spiritual walk what it ought to be? And we sometimes get a little bit off course. Sometimes we get a little bit out of sorts, don't we? Sometimes we, we find ourselves dealing with some problems and we don't always react to them the way that we should. Sometimes maybe there are people around us and uh, maybe they're making inappropriate jokes and we find ourselves chiming in or we find ourselves laughing or we find people doing things that they ought not and we find ourselves sort of getting swept away with the crowd. That's the moment we become like David and said, I thought on my ways and I realized, man, I'm not walking carefully. I need to turn my feet under the testimonies of God. Uh, our walk is very important. And that which guides our walk is not our feelings. My feelings are not to be trusted. I don't know about yours, 
but mine aren't. Uh, I'm supposed to read my Bible whether I feel like it or not. I'm supposed to pray whether I feel like it or not. Uh, I'm supposed to go to church whether I feel like it or not. Now I realize sometimes we're sick. If you're running a fever, if you're throwing up, please don't come to church. Live stream that day. But, uh, you know, the, there, are, there are days when, uh, as a human being, uh, it, I, I, I would rather not be here, but then again, I'm the pastor. It's kind of expected for me to show up. We're not supposed to operate on feelings. It's supposed to be faith, and faith is grounded in the Word of God. We're supposed to let this book be the lamp to our feet, the light to our path, and it's supposed to govern our walk. If we don't let the Bible govern our walk, we will walk away from God. We will walk into danger every single time. Think of Peter in Luke chapter 22, chapter 23. The Savior already warned him that he was going to be tempted. The devil, he said, Satan hath desired to have you that he may sift you as wheat. Peter said, I'm fine. Though all men deny you, I never will. Though, though they all forsake you, I never will. I'm ready to go to prison with you. I'm ready to die for you. I think he was serious about that. Uh, I really think his, his intentions were right. But that night after Jesus was arrested, the Bible says they all forsook him. All of his disciples forsook him and fled. But Peter and John somehow hooked up together and they went to the palace of the high priest. John knew someone in the palace and got access to go in. So John was, if you will, an eyewitness to the proceedings that took place that night. Peter stayed outside. Peter wasn't surrounded by the apostles anymore, the other disciples. It was Peter and a bunch of the enemies of Christ warming their hands around a fire. You understand, Peter's now in a wrong crowd. He's in a wrong place. I don't know why Peter didn't go in with John. Why didn't he stay with him? I, maybe he was afraid. Maybe he wasn't allowed in. We don't know. But Peter's with the wrong crowd in the wrong place. How did that turn out for Peter? It turned out wrong. You can't be in the wrong place with the wrong crowd and end up right. We always think, though, that I will be ex the exception of the rule. It, it won't happen to me. Those are called famous last words. Sort of like, hey, watch this. Famous last words. We've got to understand the Bible's true. He that walketh with wise men shall be wise, but a companion of fools shall be destroyed. Um, we're no better than Peter, we're no better than David, who was not where he should have been, who was where he shouldn't have been, and he brought wreck and ruin on his family as a result of that, because for whatever reason, David decided that night, I'm not going to let the Bible be the lamp under my feet anymore. I'm not going to ponder the path of my feet. I'm not going to think on my ways. I'm not going to walk circumspectly. It's a dangerous world out there. Be careful. Be careful. Take every step you take, every decision of every day, line it up with the word of God, and you'll be safe. You'll be safe. We put on the armor of God so that we can withstand and stand against the wiles of the devil. Am I right? So let the Bible be your guide 
and you're safe. But there's a second application to this. Not only should we be careful where we go, wherever we do go, as we are following the Lord, walking circumspectly, we should take the gospel with us. Be, again, go back to Ephesians chapter 6, verse number 15, and your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Everywhere we go, take the gospel with us. It's fine to be with the right crowd, to be in the right place, to be following uh, the leadership of God, but we're not just supposed to be there. We're supposed to be an ambassador for Christ. We're there to witness and share Christ. Go into all the world and preach the gospel to whom? Every creature. So we're to take the gospel everywhere that we go. Um, I, I, I failed to bring it in. I had one more prop that I knew would just fascinate you. Uh, everywhere that I go, I have a little spray bottle with rubbing alcohol in it. 91% alcohol. Everywhere I go, I've got one in my office. Um, right now, I've got two in my car. Um, I've got one in the gym bag that I take into the gym. Uh, I have another one there in another uh, uh, type of a gym bag that I use for other, like if I go hiking, uh, that type of thing. I have one of them uh, beside my bed. I have these spray bottles. I've got little, uh, they, they look like a pen almost, uh, but they're hollow and they're a little tiny skinny spray bottle that I can take on an airplane. They have less than uh, you know, the, the maximum num uh, number of ounces and so forth. You say, why do you carry rubbing alcohol with you? It's because that's what holds my leg on. I have a liner that I put on my leg that has these, these uh, like rubber ribs around them. There are five of them. And I have a, a, a socket made of uh, carbon fiber. And uh, as I step into, put that liner on, step into it, the only way I can get it all the way in is I have to squirt this rubbing alcohol uh, around the rubber rings and it'll slide all the way down and create a suction. There's a little knob down here that uh, I, I screw in and it holds the suction in place and my leg will stay on. The problem is when I'm very, very active. Um, today I was working with Sam and uh, we, were, we were doing a number of things and about every eight to 10 minutes or so, we had to stop and I had to sit down, take everything off, dry my leg off and so forth, put everything back on, get my spray bottle out, scooch it around there and so forth. So everywhere I go, I take a spray bottle because if I don't, I will not be able to walk anymore because my leg is no longer functioning. It's too hot and warm. Uh, it'll actually slide off my leg if I can't periodically dry it out. So I bring the spray bottle so I can keep on walking, keep on working, goes everywhere. That's the way the gospel's supposed to be for us. The gospel is not just something that we receive into our own heart. And by the way, that's where it starts. You've got to receive the gospel message. You, you, you really have to. Uh, if you can grow up in church. That doesn't make you a Christian. You've got to trust the gospel of Jesus Christ. It doesn't matter if mom and dad and everybody else in your family saved. If you haven't received the gospel, you are still lost. 
It is the prayer of every parent for our young children and now some of us for our grandchildren that they all come to that place of understanding uh, the gospel message, how that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised again the third day according to the scriptures, and that was to provide our salvation. We receive the gospel and we are saved. But listen very carefully, the gospel isn't just for us to receive it and that's it. We receive it, and then we're supposed to disseminate that everywhere that we go. We're supposed to share it with everyone around us. Go back, Matthew chapter 28. Matthew chapter 28. And I know it's familiar verses, but I'm fearful that they are neglected verses by the average believer today. Verse 18, and Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, all power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world final command of the Savior before he ascended back to heaven. It is found in every one of the Gospels. It is found in the opening words of the book of, of Acts, that we are to take the Gospel everywhere that we go. Turn to Acts chapter 5. Acts chapter 5. This is where the, the apostles were first beaten by the Sanhedrin, it's the first open persecution that the church has, has uh, undergone in verse 41. And they, that is the apostles, departed from the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer shame for his name. I fear that we are so ashamed to be known as Christians and to be different that this would not be us. We're doing everything that we can so that the world doesn't make fun of us. We're doing everything that we can so that unsafe people uh, accept us and, and don't think we're odd. Um, you live for Christ and just, I mean, live for, I'm not talking about, you know, you're, you're wearing long robes and selling flowers at the airport. I'm talking, you, you just live the Christian life. You live clean. You live right. You talk clean, you talk right, you treat people right, you, you pray and you, you live out your Christian life, you're automatically gonna be different from this world, now so more than ever. Now so more than ever. Um, and then you start sharing Christ. The apostles got, got beaten and they're, they're not turned off by it. They're counting it as a, a great thing. We got to suffer shame for the cause of the one who suffered everything for us. But look at verse 42. And daily in the temple and in every house, they ceased not to teach and preach Jesus Christ. Everywhere they went, they're sharing the gospel. Your feet shod with a preparation of the gospel of peace. When was the last time that you told somebody how to be saved? When was the last time? Has there ever been a time? When was the last time? Our feet are to be shod. That's part of the armor of God. We're to put on the 
whole armor of God. In Acts chapter 7, Stephen was stoned to death for preaching the gospel. Acts chapter 8, can you look with me, verse 1. And Saul was consenting unto his death. And at that time, there was a great persecution against the church, which was at Jerusalem. And they were all scattered abroad throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. There are some that have tried to get out of this matter of sharing the gospel, saying, well, the Great Commission was given only to the apostles. That doesn't apply to the rest. That is, that is only for them or, by extension, maybe pastors, that type of thing. Well, now we find out that this persecution, the church of thousands of people, 3,000 saved on the day of Pentecost, 4,000 men saved in Acts chapter 4, and daily the Lord added to the church such as should be saved. All of those are scattered. The apostles are left in Jerusalem. Look at verse 2. And devout men carried Stephen to his burial and made great lamentation over him. As for Saul, he made havoc of the church, entering into every house and hailing men and women, committed them to prison, verse 4. Therefore, they that were scattered abroad, stop for a moment. Who was scattered abroad, the apostles or the church members? Church members, we learned that in verse 1, correct? They that were scattered abroad went everywhere, next three words, church, preaching the word. The Great Commission wasn't just for the apostles, it's for every single believer. Ephesians chapter 6 isn't written to the leaders of the church of Ephesus, but to the saints of the church of Ephesus. That's to save people. Your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. So we are to take the gospel everywhere that we go. Go back to Ephesians 6. Ephesians 6, your feet shod with the, notice the word preparation of the gospel of peace. We're to be prepared to share the gospel, prepared to do that. Um, lots of scripture tonight, 2 Timothy chapter 2. 2 Timothy chapter 2. How am I prepared to share the gospel? 2 Timothy 2.15, study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed rightly dividing the word of truth. I need to study God's word. It keeps coming back to that, doesn't it? You should know the Bible. You should know the gospel, if you will, the plan of salvation so that you can share that. The Bible says those church members went everywhere preaching the word. That's why we have church. That's why I have Sunday school and Sunday night and Wednesday night and special meetings. It's so that we learn the word of God, not just so we can absorb it, that is part of it, and apply it to our own lives, that is part of it, but so that we can share it with others around us, that is part of the armor of God. Go, if you would, to 1 Peter. 1 Peter chapter 3. 1 Peter 3, 15, but sanctify the Lord God in your hearts, put God in a very holy and special place in your heart. Seek ye first the kingdom of God. Sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason of the hope that is in you 
with meekness and fear. So we are to be ready at all times to give an answer to anybody that asks us. That doesn't mean we don't witness unless somebody asks us, but we're to be ready about it. If somebody were to ask you, how, to, how can I go to heaven, can you tell them? Can you tell them how to get saved? Can, can you do that? We're supposed to be ready. That's the preparation of the gospel of peace. Now, let me just lay this out here. There's a lot of ways, a lot of ways that we can do that. You can share your testimony. You can share your testimony. John chapter 4, Jesus sat down beside a well one day in a city of Sychar. The disciples went into the city to buy some food, and while they were gone, this woman from the city came out. She won with a bad past. She'd been married five times and apparently married and divorced five times. She was now living with a man out of wedlock. Um, so she came out to talk to Jesus, and he spoke to her for some time and, and talked to her about being the water of life and, and so forth. And uh, she got saved, and the Bible says she left her water pots at the well, went back in, said, come see a man who told me all things ever I did. Now, she hadn't gone to a Bible study yet. She hadn't gone to church yet. She hadn't been baptized yet. She just went back in and told everybody what happened to her. And the Bible says many of the people in that Samaritan village believed on Christ through the testimony of that lady. How many of you are saved? How many know how you got saved? You can tell somebody how to be saved just by telling them that. that that's a great way. Share your testimony. Tell them how you got saved. Second thing you can do, give them a gospel tract. Gospel tract has the gospel in there and it explains it. Uh, you can give it to them. Maybe you don't have time to sit down and talk with them and it's somebody in county, you can hand it to them or you can go through the gospel tract with them. You can do that. You can invite people to church where they'll be exposed to the gospel and have an opportunity to respond to that. But above, and, uh, above, above all of that, every one of us ought to learn how to take our Bible and walk somebody through the gospel and show them how to get saved. Um, we teach soul winning classes from time to time here. We, we go out on Saturdays. We often say, if you're not sure what to do, we'll pair you up with someone that, it, that does. But again... We're back in Ephesians 6 and verse 15, your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Are you ready to tell somebody else how to get saved? If not, why not? You should be. There's also another aspect of the preparation of the gospel of peace. We need to be prepared and ready to share the gospel. I mean, we're just, we're just basically, we're looking for the opportunity. So that if it, if it arises, man, we are right there and we're ready to go. As a youth pastor, every now and then we would have an activity. It would be a scavenger hunt. Brother Rob, you do them every now and then. Um, and the teenagers get a list of some things to look for. And I think sometimes you do them at the mall, uh, different places and stuff like that. So they've got their list and they're, they're just kind of looking around like this. And oh, over there, over there. And they're, they're, I mean, they are just zoned in on that. That is how we are supposed to be with the gospel. Uh, looking out for people that we come in contact. There's somebody I can talk to. There's someone I can give a track to. And be, have the preparation of the gospel of peace. You see, if we're busy out there 
sharing the gospel and telling people how to get saved, it's pretty, it's, uh, it's a pretty sure thing we won't be running with the wrong crowd. We won't be doing the wrong thing. We won't be engaged in the wrong activities. That in itself is a protection against the wiles of the devil. Um, but it's when we're not doing what God's called us to do. Again, the Bible's not a buffet where we get to pick and choose. Um, we're supposed to take the whole armor of God. We're supposed to take the whole word of God and be armed with it. The preparation of the gospel of peace. Be careful where you go. Be careful who you're going with. Because you cannot go in the wrong direction. You cannot go with the wrong crowd and end up right. It doesn't happen. Proverbs 13.20 guarantees that it won't. Let the Bible govern your steps. Think in your ways. And from time to time, every one of us gets a little out of sorts. We get a little cattywampus. We get a little bit astray. And we need to turn our feet under the testimonies of God and say, Lord, I'm going to walk more carefully. But everywhere you go, let us, let us get the mindset that there's a lost and dying world out there that needs Christ. And uh, Romans says this, how shall they hear without a preacher? He didn't say a pastor, preacher. Preacher is a proclaimer of God's word. How are your coworkers going to hear the gospel message if you don't tell them? How are your neighbors going to learn how to be saved if you don't tell them? How are your family members, your classmates going to know about it if you don't tell them? The feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Let's stop there for tonight. Father, thank you for the Bible.